Our second message this afternoon is brought by Mr. Steve Andrews, and it is entitled, Exceeding Great and Precious Promises, The Calling, Part 2. Steve. All right, I think I'm on now. Brian will put that uh, my little chart up on the board here. Uh, I'd like to do <clears throat> part two here of this. And I added a, another section to this because I thought that the messages on God's grace fit in really, really well. And uh, Brian's trying to find it back there. <laughs> uh, let's see if he can. There we are. Now we got it. We've already gone through the, the call, but a couple weeks ago we had the grace of God. And I think it fits in very, very well with what we are looking at in the calling that God has for us. It is the love of God in the heart that is expressed in our lives. And so that is important in the calling that we have. Today we're going to go through the promise that a God has given to all of mankind. And I thought that came out very, very well in our first message today, and it dovetails very well with what we're going to bring out today. And it's a matter of, you know, a lifetime of believing God. And of course then there's the rest of the ones that I haven't gotten to yet, but we will strive to make uh, some effort to get to those two as we Look at the call of God, and today the promise that he has set before us. A tremendous promise. And Ron, in his first message, m mentioned that thread. Well, that thread started actually in the Garden of Eden and goes all the way through the Bible. And it's interesting that <clears throat> that promise really began to get very strong when he called Abraham. And that seed promise was through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And it's interesting through, the, through David also. I have four sections that I'm going to go through. Of course, the seed promises that I just talked about. And the promise of Christ... Because as he, that, you know, it goes through the, all the scriptures, and it's so important to understand the promises of Christ that were from the beginning, from the foundation. And they all look forward to that time and when Christ would come. And the promise to all nations, not just to the nation of Israel, even though it's extremely important that we understand that that promise. It's to the nation also of Israel, but also to all nations. And then I'm going to bring it down to the personal level. As we look at our exceedingly, exceeding and precious promise that has been given to you and I individually. Along with the rest of the world, we all have that promise that God is going to make us a part of his wonderful kingdom. So let's, let's look at the seed promise. Uh, 
Genesis, the 12th chapter, Abraham's calling. I did something unprecedented here. <laughs> I gave Brian my scriptures so that he'd have them up and have them ready as we went. I, I don't know how, this, how well this will go because I'll probably still want to tie myself to, to, to my Bible. I, I feel comfortable there. But it'll be up there for you, uh, you know, without him having to search around. He's got, got them all there. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get you out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Wow. What a profound promise to this man. And he hadn't even had one child. <laughs> Not even one, one child yet. But he had a tremendous blessing. Verse 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto your seed will I give this land. And there built he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Uh, who appeared unto him. You know, Abraham, when we're talking about a thread, Abraham goes through all of the scriptures. There's a thread about Abraham throughout all the scriptures, and we'll come through to that in the New Testament also as we get there. Now in Isaac, chapter 26, remember Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, all of these promises that God brings down through these generations. God is a covenant keeper. He does not forget His promises nor the covenants that He makes. And I hate to say it, but as a human, without the, that godly character, sometimes we forget our promises. And I know I do. And I feel sometimes I feel ashamed because sometimes there are things that, that I should take care of, and I don't. But God never forgets His promises. And I want you to understand that. That when He has promised us something, that that is true. And we will receive it if we have been promised certain things. And we'll get to that on our own personal level here in a little bit. But let's look at these profound promises that are, that are going to come down into the kingdom of God. God didn't just give them for no reason. He gave these promises to be fulfilled and to be a powerful thing that will happen into the kingdom. And there was a famine in the land, verse 1, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go down into, the, uh, into Egypt and dwell in the land which I shall tell tell you of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you, for unto you and unto your seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swore unto Abraham your father. So here we have the son. Abraham has the seed son. 
the promised son. And God promises the same covenant relationship with him. And I will make your seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto your seed all these countries, and your seed shall and in your seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. All nations of the earth shall be blessed. God reaching out to Abraham, to Isaac. Notice the verse 5. I, it's so very important that we understand that the obedience goes along with our calling and the promises that we have. Because, he says, that Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Abraham was faithful in keeping the word of God. And God blessed him and his children and his heirs. And frankly, we're being blessed because of those blessings. Now, let's go to Genesis, the 28th chapter, as we see Jacob. Now, each of these is tremendous stories, and all of them have, uh, you know, uh, profound impact and can uh, teach us many lessons. And so there, there's, a, there's a depth to this that I'm not going to be able to go through. As we, and in fact, Abraham's message would be uh, just, just covering it would probably take more than one message. In Genesis, the 28th chapter, and beginning in verse 10, And Jacob went, in, <clears throat> went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took the stones of that place and put them for, for his pillows and lay down and, uh, in that place to sleep. I'm not sure that I would be real happy with putting my head on a pillow, but that was Jacob found that very comfortable. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heavens, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending. What a picture that would make. I've seen books try to, you know, try to depict that, but can you imagine that dream of those angels coming down out of heaven and then going back up into heaven and him dreaming this dream? And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereupon you liest, to you will I give it, and to your seed. Now even in that dream, I can imagine it, him booming out, and telling Jacob, this is what's going to happen. And your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad. Now listen to this prophecy from God. And some deny the heritage that has come down to the United States, to Great Britain, to Canada, to Australia. But God promises to Jacob, to his family, that his seed would spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And it's interesting, the Eng especially the English-speaking people, pretty much all over, all over the world, 
And in you shall your seed, and in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Hasn't the world been blessed because of the prosperity of the different the uh, different Israelized peoples such as America and Great Britain. I mean, the world has been blessed because of that. Let's see, I was going to go to uh, verse 16 here. So, and behold, I am with you, and I will keep you in all places where you go, and I will bring you again into this land, and I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken of to you. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And I'm going to read a couple more verses here I don't, I don't think he, I had in there. And he was afraid, and he said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. What a vision this man had. What a vision. Now when he was old, it is interesting, as I, I went back and I read this because I was thinking about this, the prophecies that he gave to his sons just before he died. And I have missed a word. Sometimes we read and we don't think about it, but I missed a word, or two words actually. In verse 1, I'm not going to read all of these. You, you can go and, and read all of chapter 49 and all the various things that he prophesied about his sons. What I've always missed, Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Now, I had never thought about these are prophecies to these young these these individuals, the nations, for the last days. And things that will happen to them at that time. And, he said, and then he said, Gather yourselves together, and hear, you sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Because Jacob was then called Israel. And the last verse. Uh, let's see, what was I going to do? I think verse 33 of that same chapter. And Jacob made an end of commanding his sons, and he gathered up his feet in his bed, and he yielded up the spirit, and he was gathered unto his people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now twelve sons make up the twelve tribes of Israel. Look how important God considers these 12 tribes. All the way through the Bible, there's a thread of, the, of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. And we come to the end and the great and beautiful house that we are going to live in, and it's going to have 12 gates. Verse 12, Revelation 21, verse 12. And had a wall, <clears throat> great and high, and had twelve gates, and all, and at the gates, twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. The importance of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The importance of the twelve sons. 
the importance that God ascribed to Israel and the promises that came down through each one of those. Now, let's look at the promises of Christ. Well, actually, the fourth one would be David. Let's go back. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of course those 12 sons, and now the importance of David. Let's go to 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter. And I better find Samuel in here somewhere. It's way over here. Here we go. 2 Samuel 7, beginning in verse 12. Actually, I would like to start in verse um, let's back up to verse 10. In verse 10 it says, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tell you that he will make you a house. And when your days be fulfilled, and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed, I will set up your seed after you, which shall proceed out of your bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. An interesting Solomon fulfilled that. But the great fulfillment is Jesus Christ, as we shall see here in a minute. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish the kingdom forever. That had a look at Solomon, but Solomon was, he was mortal. He died. So this had to be prophetic. It had to be looking into the future. Into the future. So let's turn now to Psalm 89, as David even pro uh, it's prophecy about David here. Find it. And beginning in verse uh, 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, Mercy shall be built upon forever. Your faithfulness shall you establish in every, in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David, my servant. Your seed will I establish forever and build upon your throne to all generations. Remember, when God says something, when he writes it, it's going to come to pass. It will happen. And so we have here that seed, David. Now 35 and 36, and his seed, which became Christ. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Okay, we have David now. We have 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 12 sons. We have David. From that seed comes the promise of the Christ. Galatians, the third chapter. Let's go to Galatians now. As we see this, and of course we, are, we can only very, touch very lightly on these. Um, the depth would be very great for any of these points. Uh, you could just really flesh everything out here, but we'll, we'll touch very lightly on these and, and, uh, and then look at uh, uh, our own promises. Now to Abraham and his seed, verse 16, were the promises made. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He says, not and to seeds as of many, but as one, and to your seed, which is Christ. So Abraham's seed was pointing to Jesus Christ, the coming of the Messiah. Even from that start where there was no heir, no one there, God said, from your seed will come the Messiah. From your seed. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was, for, was 430 years after, cannot disallow, uh, disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law... It is no more promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Isn't that amazing? We are promised the kingdom of God. And he's going to bring us into that kingdom because he's promised us the kingdom of God. He's promised to put us in that kingdom. Now we should be faithful and we should live to the best of our abilities. But we do err and sometimes we sin. And we need the sacrifice of Christ and all of those things. But He is going to bring us in because He has promised. In every one, He has promised to bring us into His kingdom. Luke, the first chapter. And I think uh, Ron touched on this. I'd like to... Uh, to bring it out again, just real quickly here. Beginning in verse um, verse 69, as was read in the, in the first message, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which were been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember His holy covenant. Now it's interesting, when God makes a covenant, He's holy, so His covenant is holy. So He's made a holy covenant. The oath which He swore to our father Abraham. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Okay, let's go on to Acts, the 13th chapter now. 
as we develop this just a little more about the promise of Christ. Acts, the 13th chapter, and beginning in verse 16. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his, with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you that fear God, give an audience. Lend me an ear. Let's, let's talk about this. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm brought them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years, until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David to be their king. Uh, no, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed has God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. You see the thread coming down through history as God works with these individuals, and even with a whole nation, a sinning nation, he still worked with them and brought about the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think you that I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you fears God, to you is this word of salvation sent. The good news, the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have, fulf they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had ful fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen of many. Uh, he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were of his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, good news, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, that in, the, in that he has raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. You see the promises that come down through history and through the Bible to the time of the Messiah? And all of that ties together. Let's see now. I'm turn, uh, let's turn now to Acts, the second chapter. 
one everyone is very familiar with. Acts, the second chapter, beginning of verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words of Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Verse 23, him being delivered by the by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God has raised up and having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held, uh, should be holden of it. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Interesting how those prophecies go all the way back. And God revealed his plan to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all of those men down through the three ages and, and gave them the covenant promise. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope because you will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you suffer the Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You make me full of joy with your countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. So right there is, is, is proof that David is, is waiting for the resurrection. He's dead. He's buried. He's still in his sepulcher today, waiting for that time, the return of Jesus Christ. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or in the grave, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. And of course, this was on the day of Pentecost as the Spirit was given to all those that were there. 3,000 were called and baptized and come along with those that already had received that Holy Spirit there. I might skip that one. Um, <clears throat> the, the one that uh, Ron wore, uh, read a lot of that in Luke, the first chapter, and beginning in 32, and all of those promises that were there. and It, it just it was, it worked out very, very well. There's a promise to Israel, but within that is also the promise to the nations. God has not excluded any man or any woman. He would like to see all in the kingdom. We are his children. He loves us very much. Sent his son to be sacrificed for us. So there is a plan for all. Of course, his plan starts with those who are called according to his purpose and his plan first. 
But for all nations, Gentiles, all over the world, he has a plan. Going back to Genesis, the 12th chapter, just real quickly in verse, one verse. Just one verse. Genesis 12, verse 3, as we've already read once, be, once before. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is a promise that was given to Abraham. It comes down through the ages. In Acts 2.39, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to the all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is unto all those that God shall call. In Ephesians, the third chapter. Beginning in verse 5. Which in other ages was not known unto the sons of men. Now let me let me read to verse. Uh, yeah, let me read, start at verse three. That kind of stops. Starts in the. Oh, let's see. Why don't I start at verse one? <laughs> for this cause, I Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. I think I think that's a an appropriate uh, starting place. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me to you word. In other words, he was called to, to go to the Gentiles, to go to the nations, to go to those that were not Israel, and to bring this wonderful message to them of salvation, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not known, not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That's interesting. That knowledge is so readily available today. And yet, at one time, man just walked this earth and did not understand the truth that we have today. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and the partakers of the promise of Christ in the, in the gospel, or by the gospel. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So the, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God and of Jesus Christ and the salvation that was to be brought to all the world was open now. It's to be revealed. It was no longer to be hidden, but to be revealed to all of mankind. And that calling that we have is such a precious and wonderful thing. And that leads me up to our exceeding and precious promises. And the scripture that I had was, of course, Second Peter Second Peter, the first chapter. I might read 
the introduction to because I think that it Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, some of these letters, epistles, that's what they were called, had such beautiful openings. I can't think of anything more wonderful than to open a letter and see something so wonderful as this. The like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied. In other words, as we gain more understanding, more grace from God, more peace is multiplied through that knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and to virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, if we took these things to heart, read them and thought about them, and, and really meditated on what Peter was saying in this epistle, we would, we would know that the world is not the place that we should be friends with, because that is something that is going to take us away from these precious promises. We need to be friends and close to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to understand and learn the deepness and the grace and the love that God has for each and every one of us as His children. And to realize that the promise is to be His sons in His kingdom. In 1 John, just a little bit over, in the third chapter, beginning in verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now we are, we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that has this hope in Him purifies himself even as he is pure. Now today, as human beings, we couldn't stand in the true presence of God. They shine and have the power greater than the sun. It would literally obliterate us. We would be nothing. But the day is coming. The Bible says the day is coming. We're going to be able to see them and look on them and live with them and be with them. And they'll teach and train and guide us as his children and brothers and sisters in the kingdom will shine just like they do. 
1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, says we're not going to be corruptible. And we're going to give up this corruption because we have corruptible bodies. And we get old. Our bodies decay, and then they go back into the ground. And I'm just reading, you know, you can read the whole 1 Corinthians 15 because it really applies very much to all that we're talking about here today, but just a couple of verses. For this corruptible, verse 53, must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. If we're going to be with the Father, and we're going to be with the Son, they're not going to want us forever in this form. They want us in the form that they're in, so that they can have a really deep, long-term, eternal, immortal relationship with us. And that's the reason why the Bible, and especially Paul's writings, is filled with this understanding about this change, about going from the corruptible, which is what we are today, to the incorruptible, from the mortal, which is what we are, to the immortal. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You'll never have to worry again about dying. And when all of God's people are changed and metamorphed into that, we won't have to worry about any relative, any loved one dying. They will all have immortality. We will all have immortality. And death will no longer have rulership over us. The promises are also obtained by faith. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, because we must believe. We have to believe these promises are for us individually and that they're that there is something to look forward to and that there's something to really be joyous about. In verse 6 of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house by that uh, the which he condemned the world and became heir of the of the righteousness which is by faith the righteousness is by faith by faith Abraham when he was called to go into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance obeyed and he went out not knowing where he went by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise for he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of child when she was past age because she was judged, uh, she judged him faithful who had promised. Let's see how far I wanted to go. Therefore sprang there even of one of, in him as good as dead, so many of the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. It says these all died. These all died in faith. They believed what God promised. 
But they died. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. That's our lot. That's what we should believe. I believe in the kingdom of God. I believe it's going to come to this earth. And I believe I'm going to be a part of it. But I am physical human being, a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. And I look forward to the day of the change, as all of us should. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from which they come out, they might have opportunity to return. It's very easy to return into the world. All you have to do is just give up believing in God and all of the things that we've been taught. But if you want the promises, if you desire the kingdom, if you desire what God has set before us, then you believe His promises. But now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said that in Isaac shall your seed be called. It was, talk about coming to the, and having faith, and coming to the end and saying, I'm willing, I'm willing to give up my son because I believe what you have told me. And he believed that God if, if he had to sacrifice him, that he would resurrect him. But we know the story. We know he brought him right up to that point. In faith, he brought him to that point. And God provided a sacrifice for him so that he would not have to go any further. According that God was able to raise him up and even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. And you can go on from there, and the story continues. Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans 4, the beginning in verse 9. Comes this blessing, blessedness then, upon the circumcision only. Well, let's see here. Let me, let me come back up to verse 5. I am... But in him that works not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Uh, even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And know there's a mercy seat. And there's a mediator. And there's a high priest. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Comes this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, 
though they be not circumcised, that righteousness may be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but also, but who also walk in the steps of the faith, in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had, being yet uncircumcised. Before that sign was given, before there was the circumcision, Abraham believed God. God called him, and he believed. He believed the promises. He believed the covenant that God had given him. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is made of none effect. Because the law, the law works wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that of which is of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So in other words, the Bible is saying we need the kind of faith that Abraham had. Then believing God, when he's, you know, when he's calling us, that we believe that we are going to be in the kingdom of God, that we're going to be his sons. Let's turn to um, Hebrews, the sixth chapter. And I might want to cut out a couple of these here real quick. So it looks like I'm running out of time. But Hebrews 6 and verse 12. He says, But that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and practice or patience inherit the promises. And that's so true. For when God made, made promise to Abraham because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And he said that when Abraham had no children. And so after that, he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for the confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us, us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see that thread that goes down through the ages? Even, they even write about Abraham and about how that ties in to the need for that faith in God's promises.
There's so much here, so many things. I would like to finish up here with the, th the three. And I still have another page. Hmm. <laughs> All right. We know that there's three crowns out there. They're promised to us. James, the first chapter. James 1. Three beautiful crowns. I think that the Bible is, is so wonderful when it talks about this blessing that we have. It's looking for, forward into the kingdom. James, the first chapter in verse 1. Blessed is that man that endures temptation. For when he has tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Which is promised to them that love him. No, God has given us his promise, and he wants us to love him back. He wants us to be obedient to his laws. He wants us to walk in his way. And he wants us to love him as he loves us. In fact, <laughs> we can't love him that way because he gave his son for us. In Second um, Timothy, Second Timothy 4 and verse 8, He said in verse 6, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, finished my course, kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me only. You see, this is interesting. Paul understood that it wasn't just for you know, a few. It's for everyone if they accept this. If they accept the calling, if they understand and they have the faith and the promises. He says, and not me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Do we desire the return of Jesus Christ? I do. I think the world is becoming very, very immoral. And I'm hating to see it in our own beautiful country that we live in. That God is blessed with so many blessings. And now it's just getting so corrupted. But that day is coming. And Christ will return. In, verse, um, in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall re we, you, all of us, shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. A crown of life, a crown of righteousness, and a crown of glory. We have a city that we will be walking in. It's a beautiful place in Revelation. And Jesus says there are many mansions, many, many mansions. It's filled with places for you and I, for all the world, for any who accept this calling, who accept God's calling, who believe in the promises, who understand the grace and the love of God. In Revelation, the 21st chapter, in Revelation 21, in beginning of verse 10, I want you to, to vision this beautiful city that's prepared for you and I and for all of those who are going to be called and are going to be in God's kingdom. 
It's going to be such a beautiful, beautiful place. And we are going to walk where the angels have walked, where the angels have tread. We're going to meet people that we have only read about. <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've only read about them. We don't know them really. We, we know a little bit about them, don't we? we? We've read a little bit about Abraham. We've read a little bit about Isaac and a little bit about Jacob. We know their lives a little bit. But one of these days we're going to personally be able to talk to them and Moses and David. And they will be able to impart more. And of course, the greatest that we have to look forward to is our Savior Jesus Christ and the Father. <laughs> I mean, talk about some things they could tell us. Uh, it'll be a take a eternity of eternities of eternities for them to give us everything that they they know. In verse 10, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of the heavens from God. And having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And had a wall great and high and twelve gates, and the gates twelve angels and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of twelve apostles unto the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lies four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs, and the length and the breadth and the height are all equal. He measured the wall thereof, a hundred and forty and four cubits, and according to the measure of the man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear crystal. And the foundations of the wall and the city were garnished with all manner of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, and the fourth emerald. The fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth chlysophoresis, uh, uh, or something like that, and the eleventh jaconinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold as it were transparent glass. And he says, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Jerusalem, the city of God. I'd like for you to listen as the hoppers Talk about that beautiful city.
Don't you guys do that in the 